0: Hi, I'm Nikki Robbins, I'm the Viticultural Development Officer for Barossa Grape & Wine Association. Welcome to our Wildlife for Wine podcasts, a series brought to you by Barossa Grape & Wine. And if you're wondering what those sounds were at the beginning of this recording, they were microbats. Yes, there are microbats in Barossa's vineyards and they eat half their weight in insects every night, some of which may reduce pests in the vineyards and help reduce our chemical footprint. So how do you set up a microbat hotel on your property? Why would you want to do this? And what are the benefits to vineyards and to the environment? For the answers to these questions, today I'm talking with microbat researcher, Terry Reardon. Terry has been studying bats in Australia, Papua New Guinea and Borneo for 40 years. And he's currently an honorary research associate at the South Australian Museum. The venue for our podcast today is Bross's Seppeltsfield Winery. Established in 1850, and considered a national treasure which helped shape the history of the Australian wine industry, Seppeltsfield has the largest vineyard holdings in Barossa. The winery also boasts the highest customer visitation rate in the state. Today we're talking with Seppeltsfield winemaker and estate manager, Matthew Pick. Nikki Robbins here again, talking about wildlife for wine in the Barossa. We've been at Evan Go Bell's talking about bird species and we've been at Sean Koleski's talking about arthropods and now we are at Seppeltsfield. talking to Matthew Pick and Terry Redden about microbats in viticulture and restoration of creek lines. So I just wanted to start with with you Matthew Pick. Um, why did Seppeltsfield want to get involved in the Wildlife for Wine program?
1: Well Seppeldsfield is just such a wonderful space to come and um, we've got a wonderful wine tasting area but we have such a large um, uh, expansive picnic grounds that borders the um, uh, the Granot Creek region and we felt that's a lot of the drawcard of why people want to come to Sebeltsfield to be part of the, the open spaces yeah. and we we recognised that there was a lot of work that we could do to help rehabilitate that creek line and um, part of that is actually generating a lot of diversity in there.
0: So diversity in terms of?
1: Um, plant life and then ultimately life in the creek, um, frogs and all those sort of species, bird life, and we were unaware of it but bats actually are a great indicator of biodiversity.
0: Yeah, great, great. And um, I guess it's in terms of the biodiversity aspect, that's, that's, that's a great thing to be focusing on. But is it important for wine brands now to be bringing consumers into that environmental side of the brand and, and looking at you know, how the brand operates in terms of looking after the environment, do you think?
1: Oh, definitely. We, we, we're um, constantly, probably one of the biggest advantages, particularly in China, which is a major export market for us, they want the knowledge our wine brands have a very green focus yeah
0: and you know, i guess you've got a big market in, in china and around the world can you tell me some of the countries that you
1: export to we're well recognized as a domestically strong brand but china is a growing market um Sibyl's family really sort of um when they owned this one they were always focused on export particularly to the uk and that's still a very strong market: U- UK, Europe, and and the states. Sebblesfield is the largest um, vineyard holder in the Barossa Valley. We ha- own and um, run over um, one thousand hectares of vineyard.
0: So, Terry Ed, and what are microbats exactly?
1: Well,
2: microbats are part of uh, the entire bat family. So, worldwide, bats make up about twenty five percent of all the. Um, mammal species in the world and same in Australia, and we divide bats up into two groups, the large megabats and the small microbats. So people are familiar with the megabats as flying foxes, uh, but the microbats are very much smaller, sort of uh, you almost swallow size, and uh, they're primarily insect eaters.
0: So what are we thinking as their potential in vineyards and, and creek lines and, and things like that?
2: Well, very good. We have some evidence from overseas now in, in Europe and in in America that uh, having bats in vineyards improves economic returns from the vineyards. So we're thinking in, you know, in Australia that that's something we should investigate.
0: And what are the economic returns? How do you get those?
2: Bats eat up to half their body weight in insects a night. They feed most nights over the really warm months of the year. So they're consuming enormous numbers of insects, which could be pests for vineyards. So that's, that's, that's the logic behind it.
0: And we don't know yet if, if they are eating the right pests, so there is a study going on?
2: Yeah, that's right. This project, which was started uh, down in McLaren vale with the uh, uh, Natural Resources Management people, I uh, wanted to look at how bats might interact with vineyards. I guess there's several prongs to it, one is that we want to work out whether bats do actually eat the insects that are pests in vineyards and to do that we need to go out and catch a, catch bats or and then take samples of their droppings and we've now got evidence from research studies done here at Adelaide University that using environmental DNA you can work out what the diet of the bat is. So that's one step and I guess the other step is that how it would you know, if bats are beneficial to uh, controlling insect pests, how would we bring more bats into vineyard areas? And I guess one way of doing that is um, uh, is providing artificial roosts for them, so small boxes, which we'll see shortly, right up to big bat hotels, you know, which, so small boxes might have, you know, up to 30 individuals in it, but we're thinking 200, 300, 400 bats inside big bat hotels. Incredible. Uh, and also, once we have bat boxes, then we can also collect the guano that's accumulating in the bat boxes to continually do the testing. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a bit of work to do with surveying. So part of how do we find out what bats are in vineyards? So we need to go out and capture bats and identify them, or um, we can use acoustic detectors, which listen to the ultrasound of the bats as they're foraging, and identify the bats um, that are foraging over the and vineyards. How many
0: species of bats are generally in this area, Terry.
2: Like up here in the Barossa, we. Uh, we know from our recordings here recently uh, that there are at least seven species, and that could be as high as 10 or 11 with further work. Mm. And
0: what are some of the names of them? Some of the
2: names? are oh, they're really, really cool. Uh, so there's oh, uh, wattled bats. Wattle refers to the lobe of skin in the corner of the mouth. So if there's a chocolate wattle bat, which sounds very edible, uh, and Gould's wattle bat, they're long-eared bats. So a lot of the bats have short ears, but long-eared bats have really big ears. Uh, most bats have a tail um, in uh, a tail at the back that 's enclosed in a membrane, but there 's a gr- group of bats around here called free tail bats where the tail sticks out behind so there 's quite a diversity oh and the little forest bats, which are not much bigger than the last joint of my thumb, you know you weigh about three grams so they 're foraging uh, in a, we picked up some of those in the survey we did here at. Uh, Seppelsfield, you know uh, in late last year.
0: Yeah and we also had a bat night here where about 30 members of the public came and we had the anabat recorders and we just walked around in the dark and we could hear all the, the bats flying around that was great. I guess um, Matt I was going to ask you because you said to me on that night you're quite keen to pull the Sepplesfield community into this oh, yeah. idea and spread it more yeah, widely. Yeah th- that's right yeah. I mean
1: part of this um restoration of the, uh, the creek area is actually to get some of our, our neighbours that live uh, by Sepulch field enjoy Sepulch field to be more involved in actually the, um, the area, but then also see tangible things where um, you know, an impact of increasing the biodiversity along the creek, creek line can actually have downstream effects where uh, we can measure the indicator species such as the, um, the bat, bat populations, but then it also gives uh, this community you know, a greater knowledge of sort of what's already here. Now, the night that Terry came through, we didn't think there were any bats because you don't know what you can't see, but to actually see and hear and and identify some certain noises, and you can say, well, we've, we've learned a whole heap as yeah. well, you know.
0: How old is the Sepultesville community?
1: Joseph Sepulte came here in 1851 and it was primarily their, their family uh, that, that lived in the Seppelsfield village, but they employed a large number of people from um, the nearby towns as well. So it's as old as the Barossa and everyone in the Barossa has some connection to Sepultsfield.
0: Shall we walk down to the creek line now?
1: So this is sort of one old tree that we were sort of thinking of and then there's another one actually in the picnic grounds yeah um but i was looking for really for your sort of guidance as to sort of whether well i think uh, it's much of
2: as muchness and i think you know, having it by the creeks are really good yeah And it's, you know maybe even you know one of these trees that's okay. near the creek because yeah. i'll come into the creek to drink as well as right. catch the insects that are accumulating mm. there but mm. yeah i reckon i mean pretty much any of these trees maybe this yeah the old one here with
1: and at any particular height or? Well, the higher the better. Yeah, right.
2: And, uh, yeah. and it's, you know, that, bats must have this amazing spatial map in their brain because you put up something and they find it. You know, even yeah, right. something that's really... Yeah, right. You know, and they'll investigate it. So, right. So something new going up, they'll, know, they'll find it. Right. And, and investigate it, so.
0: So where's the main reef edge? Is...
1: Um, pretty well uh, along, along this section from, oh, from, I see. from here <laughs> yeah. around but also with those um, cactus, prickly pear, um, that's been inoculated for uh, with cochineal, cochineal bug. Uh, and yeah, we're hopeful that sort of within three years. Yeah, and so yeah, the idea is to actually not pull the player out and then expose an erosion risk, is actually to sort of gradually plant uh, more natives and just let those prickly pears just die of their own accord. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how many metres are you going to be doing to start off with? It's probably about, uh, there's a section
1: of about 800 around to that side. That's just with the plants that we've got already. And then we'll start to look to, you know, utilise more. Once those pretty pears have sort of folded and we can actually get in there. Yeah, Yeah.
0: it's really eroded, isn't it, down Mm. there? Yeah. So that's good.
1: Cooperation that we've received from um, the Natural Resource has been been great to choose the right plant types and and then also sort of the advice that um, Troy's um, getting as to sort of where to plant them.
0: Yeah, so you are doing a biodiversity action plan with the NRM board. What does that mean for you? So you do some, they do some, uh, how does it work?
1: They've supplied uh, the planting material yeah. and we'll, we'll supply the labour to actually plant and then we're hopeful that we can also get some of our neighbours to help in the project and thereby sort of being part of the rejuvenation of the creek. I mean, you live around this area, you wanna be able to access the sort of the fresh water that's there, you don't wanna be <laughs> stung by a, uh, or by a prickly pear or, or, or whatever, you wanna be able to access it and to see it. Um, and I think that sort of uh, ownership that people get as being a welcome neighbour is, um, is, 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 is just great.
0: Yeah. I think, um, you know, the NRM Board or Northern and York Landscape Board, as it's now called, um, they've sort of approached Brossard Grape and Wine Association to get landholders involved in these sorts of initiatives or projects, but then the idea is that the community just carries it on so that the association or the Landscape Board doesn't have to come in every now and then and 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 just sort of rev people up again. It's the community doing their own, you know, enthused enough to keep doing it without needing us to fund it or, or provide any motivation. Yeah. yeah, which I think works quite well.
2: Well those little ones, yeah, bat boxes.
1: Are these bat boxes too? Yeah,
2: so they've got the entrance at the bottom. Oh yeah.
1: So these could get also sort of hang up in some of these.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that bat box is a very large one, and these are just small yeah,
2: ones. Yeah, so they we experiment with different designs, yes. and so Dennis has been making those really thick walled ones to. Oh, yeah. some thermal mass or something. But, oh yeah. But you know, they, these small things work just as well, so. Right. Mm.
0: So Terry, um, this looks like a good tree to put a bat box in. Would that be right and it's why? Quite,
2: this is a fabulous old tree here on Sepulch's Field. Um, and you can see the size of it and some broken limbs that probably have hollows in the spouts. And oh, yeah, just up there. Yeah, yeah, so one of the things that you often see driving around Uh, this area is a lot of eucalypts but uh, in fact they're not this age or size enough to produce hollows so um, I should mention before that all the microbats that live in this area they roost in tree hollows. so they're not cave dwelling like some other species. So you know with the change in landscape you know we've lost a lot of old hollow um, trees and so we have to replace. Uh, roosting habitat for bats and to do that we use these nest boxes. So this is quite a small one. The thing that makes uh, bat boxes different than bird boxes, bird boxes normally have a hole in the front, but the bat box has a little uh, landing platform and a very narrow gap at the bottom. So when it's mounted on the tree, the bat flies in and then crawls up this landing pad and roosts in the top. And we've had boxes, you know, not that much bigger than this have had 30-odd bats all crammed inside. You open up the lid and you you see them all uh, in there. So these boxes come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. You can use round tubes with Hessian inside. And what we're trying to encourage people to do, I mean, places like uh, here at Sepulsville, what would be really good is to build a rather large structure that we would call a bat hotel. So we know that a lot of bats, and maybe lots of bats live in the roofs of some of these old buildings. But what we want to do is mimic um, the roof structures in bat houses. So we just build something that might be three metres by three metres, but with ridge capping and walls and some sort of structure inside for the bats to roost on. So the idea is that rather than having 30 bats, we might get three or four hundred bats. And particularly if they're on site, then they're likely to move backwards and forwards for that major site and be foraging over the the, uh, vineyards. And the idea is to put these boxes up as high as we possibly can uh, within our health and safety limits but uh, and it's just amazing how bats will find these things they've got an excellent uh, mind map about their environment and as soon as you put up something new they'll come and investigate it so I feel pretty hopeful putting these boxes up here will be successful you know initially you know it'd be pre European settlement there would have been you know this all would have been very, very wooded country, so I'm assuming that it would have held a lot more bats and as you know roosting opportunities have diminished you know bats have taken up they may even roost under things you know we we found them in um uh, old tractor boards and whatever out in the fields they've got in and haven't been able to get out sort of thing but they may actually roost in those palms they certainly roost under exfoliating bark and in buildings so do i say dams and open water yeah we do um, yeah. yeah yeah we
1: we've, um, we've got quite a large about a 900 megalitre dam on uh, the Gomisul Road, and then each of the vineyards has between 20 and 50 mega dams mm, there. Wow. So, yeah, so really quite sizable.
2: Yeah, bats really like you know the open dams; they've got to drink. So having those dams, you know, having good water is is fantastic yeah. for bats. And like the creek works, like you know, I feel really excited about because bats forage along the creeks and yeah. having that op- bits of open water for them yeah. to drink is a really good, really good thing.
1: Yeah, that was also really interesting. The uh, on that bat night, of how they how they actually drink. They just mm. <laughs> fly yeah. into the water and yeah. and mm. and even the sea and get some salt. And mm.
2: that's right. Yeah. yeah yeah so and there's good structure through here too because i mean a lot of some bats you know they fly right above the tree canopy and so sort of not worried so much about the yeah. structure but having this you know understory and structure means that other species like forest bats like to zoot yeah. around in there so that you know as that planting goes on and maybe some smaller shrubs would be really cool as well so excellent
1: well i reckon we'll probably put one box up there and we'll hmm. put one over there and then the larger hmm. box I think we'll put over by the, uh, or is it better to actually put a larger box closer to the creek or? It, it um,
2: I, well I think, I reckon we can, you know, if you're willing to put up a few more, I'm sure Dennis can give yeah, you a couple well, more, but, but it'd be nice to have that really nice one up in public. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree yeah, with yeah. that, yeah.
0: Thank you Matt and Terry for doing the podcast today. Um, what, what's, what's next Terry, do you think, in terms of this project?
2: Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of impetus now and we've uh, proven some technology with the DNA so I think the next step would be to perhaps try and get some funding for a student to take on the, the idea of collecting bats and doing the surveys in the vineyards and seeing what they're eating and, um, and see if you know, what overseas people are finding actually occurs here in Australia with bats actually providing an economic impact uh, for vineyards.
0: Thanks for joining us in this Wildlife for Wine podcast brought to you by Barossa Graham Wine Association and supported by the Northern and York Landscape Board. For more information about this program, you can connect with us at barossawine.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, join us for two more in the series where we talk with Australian native bird expert, Ian Falkenberg and Barossa grower, Evan Gobel, about the benefits of planting natives in and around vineyards. And to Dr. Mary Retallick and grower winemaker, Sean Koleski about the benefits of insects and spiders in the vineyard.